Good morning. So our passage this morning comes from John 3, 1 through 17. Listen for what God is saying to you. There was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a Jewish leader. He came to Jesus at night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could do these miraculous signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered, I assure you, unless someone is born anew, it's not possible to see God's kingdom. Nicodemus asked, how is it possible for an adult to be born? It's impossible to enter the mother's womb for a second time and be born, isn't it? Jesus answered, I assure you, unless someone is born of water and the spirit, it's not possible to enter God's kingdom. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh, and whatever is born of the spirit is spirit. Don't be surprised that I said to you, you must be born anew. God's spirit blows wherever it wishes. You hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it is going. It's the same with everyone who is born of the spirit. Nicodemus said, how are these things possible? Jesus answered, you are a teacher of Israel and you don't know these things? I assure you that we speak about what we know and testify about what we have seen but you don't receive our testimony. If, you, if I have told you about earthly things and you don't believe, how will you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has gone up to heaven except the one who came down from heaven, the human one. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so must the human one be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him won't perish, but will have eternal life. God didn't send his son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. May God add a blessing to the hearing and understanding and living out of the scripture. Good morning again. Uh, if you stepped in late, uh, I won't point you out, but I will just reintroduce myself and say, um, my name is Emily McGinley. I have the great joy of serving as um, the pastor here at Urban Village Church, Hyde Park, Woodlawn, um, alongside uh, so many others around this city, folks in, in this um, congregation as well who are trying to be a movement for life in this world. Some of you might know that um, this weekend is the weekend of the Lunar New Year, and there are lots of things that uh, folks might be aware of, the dragon dances and the parades and uh, firecrackers maybe. Um, but one of the practices that, um, and one of the things that the practice of celebrating the Lunar New Year calls us to is to a kind of remembrance of our ancestors and a reminder that of um, our obligation to carry forward the legacies that they put forth. Sometimes that can feel a little bit oppressive um, in an Asian context, um, but it can also be deeply encouraging to be reminded of the strength and the tenacity and the investment in life that those who came before us um, have put forth so that we might be. And, you know, whether you're Asian or not, I think I'm in a room full of people who have ancestors like that, who have worked hard on their behalf, who have sacrificed and celebrated life in new and powerful ways. And maybe you're just saying, you're thinking to yourself, you know, my tree is full of rotten apples. Um, I don't have one, one ancestor that I can sort of think of and, and draw strength from, but the gift and the privilege of um, calling yourself a Christian, of, of being part of the Christian legacy, is that you get grafted into another kind of tree. 
a tree of ancestors who did fight for you without even knowing your face or your name. And so as we gather here in this space, I give thanks not only for my ancestors, but for your ancestors who brought you here to gather in this space and hear another message of courage. So why don't we gather um, our hearts and our minds in a word of prayer as we prepare to hear what God has to say to us through um, the scripture this morning. God, we thank you. We thank you that when we are not enough and feel like we are not enough, that you stand with us and that you um, stand beside us and you go before us and you remind us that we don't do this on our own, but that we do this as part of folks in a long lineage, um, both of blood and flesh and blood and spirit um, and strength who have reminded us that we can, not because of who we are, but because of who we all are together in you. And so speak to us this morning. We invite your spirit to flow dangerously freely throughout our hearts and minds as we lean in close to hear what you have to say. Pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. So if you were here last week, you would know that I was not here last week. Um, I had the opportunity to march with hundreds of thousands of other women and men at the Women's March in D.C., and I give thanks to, for my male allies who uh, came and stepped in, Joel, who preached, um, Colton, who, as always, uh, ably liturgized, and uh, Rich, who presided at the table. Oh, wait, no, Rich liturgized, and Colton provided food. So um, it was a great team effort by, um, by uh, folks, the male counterparts in our community um, that made um, last week happen, last Sunday happen. Um, I know that many folks here marched in Chicago, um, and it was this kind of amazing coming together of people. I hadn't planned on it, but I ended up wearing one of the pink knit hats that has kind of come to symbolize one of the marchers. It was actually knit by a woman um, in San Francisco. She included a note um, who, together with many other women, uh, maybe men as well, uh, who enjoyed knitting, um, uh, who couldn't make it to the march, but then wanted to send kind of these knit caps as a sign of solidarity um, and, uh, and support. Um, they were given out, actually, at one of the metro stations in D.C., um, and someone just kind of had a, like, garbage bag full of them and was handing them out. Um, so, and, so it was this kind of beautiful symbol of support and connection that, in my experience, was a reflection of the event itself. Um, and it was this day where it felt like people were kind of just stretching toward one another, even if it was imperfectly. There were dads, uh, presumably dads, male partners, um, lined up along the edges of where the crowds had gathered, bouncing babies and running after their toddlers while, you know, the moms were somewhere in there. Um, and uh, just people who were, who were there for each other. And afterwards, um, I started to see articles like this one um, that asserted how women of color were being divisive by speaking their truths, or, um, or this photo of a, of a marcher carrying a sign that said, I'll see you nice white ladies at the next Black Lives Matter march, right? And, and I felt this tension, right? Probably a tension that many of us feel, or at least notice. A tension that ranged from maybe confusion to impatience to a resigned compassion or a deep generations long rage. For many, it's an old tension, constantly present, consistently frustrating, needling your just want to feel good about it all conscience, like your dad who tells you how proud he is that you're attending the Women's March, but also regularly express thinly veiled misogynistic comments about a recent female presidential candidate. But I wouldn't know anything about that. If there is anything that is being revealed in this politically violent and socially chaotic moment in history, it's that our unity is fragile, mainly because it rests on a common rejection 
This is not who we want to be. And while that's a starting point for some kind of coalition, what has been revealed by this ragtag assortment of people who are disgruntled is that we've got some work to do if we have any hope of moving forward together. What does it mean to stand shoulder to shoulder and yet wage our battles separately as individuals? How do we bridge our parallel tracks of justice? What does it mean for us to reach across chasms of pain, misunderstanding, apathy, and self-protection? What does it take for us as Christians to get woke again and again? Our passage for today is about just that, getting woke. You might be more familiar with the Christianese version of that phrase, born again. Uh, But as most biblical scholars will tell you, born again is only one translation of the Greek word anothen. It's one of those kind of double-speak words that means both again and from above. The translation that we read this morning, the Common English Bible, split the difference by saying born anew, which isn't a terrible way to try and communicate it, but in doing this, you end up missing why Nicodemus is misunderstanding Jesus. Nicodemus interpreted it as only born again, only, and while Jesus intended both meanings, kind of this above and um, ground level understanding of it. And this is an important distinction because we, what we see in this conversation is Nicodemus getting caught by what he could see, the tangible part, which is why he gets stuck at this question, well, how can a born, grown man be born again? Can he re-enter his mother's womb? And you can almost hear Jesus take a deep breath as he speaks in measured tones. I assure you, Unless someone is born of water and the Spirit, it's not possible to enter God's kingdom. Jesus is asking Nicodemus to think about birth in a broader sense, to see beyond, that it's an awakening of both body and spirit. It's not enough to know the present reality, the flesh and blood of this world. You must also exercise your spiritual imagination and see beyond, a.k.a. You have got to get woke, my brother. And the last thing you hear Nicodemus say in this conversation is another question. So many questions. How are these things possible? To which I'm pretty sure Jesus responded with an early millennial version of, boy, bye. (laughs) He has patiently been taking and responding to questions, but it is clear to Nicodemus, or that Nicodemus isn't even trying to understand Really. I mean, he came out in the cover of night, which biblical scholars say symbolizes ignorance of God, but regardless, he went to all the trouble of coming out at night to supposedly seek understanding, but here he is expecting Jesus to do all the heavy lifting to help him get it. Teachers will tell you that learning also requires student effort. And so Jesus is like, yo, you got that fancy master of divinity, and you got the REV before your name, and you still don't get it. I know that deep down you can understand this, but you simply refuse to try and hear our truth. At this point, Jesus is done with this Becky, and instead of trying to pat Nicodemus' hand and bring him along, he unleashes the whole fire hose vision, letting Nicodemus decide whether he's going to sink or swim. And it might be easy to sit back and be like, Nicodemus, he can't get woke. What a lame But the reality, of course, what we teach here at UBC is that salvation is not a moment, but a process. A messy, very unflattering process of us bumbling our way toward wholeness and understanding. 
In other words, one way or the other, we are all Nicodemus. After the Women's March, I had an opportunity to attend an event that featured national leaders and activists from around the country and, and of all kinds of backgrounds and persuasions. The speakers were women of color and white women who all talked about the need to understand intersectionality. That is, to understand the interconnected nature of race, class, and gender, I would also add sexual orientation, as they apply to a in given individual or group and create overlapping interdependent systems of discrimination or disadvantage. In other words, if you are a straight, white, Christian, educated, employed, American citizen male, it does not mean that you are a bad person. It simply means that you have a number of interlocking identities that stack up for increasing amounts of privilege. Knowing this, naming this, and courageously leveraging this on behalf of those who do not carry these intersections is a necessary prerequisite if we're ever going to hope to usher in the kingdom of God. More than anything, at this post-March event, the white women in particular were talking about this. They impressed upon those who had gathered how important it was for other white women to understand the additional intersections of oppression that their partners in the movement were laboring under. Not just the regular old, like, misogyny, right? But like all these other things. And it wasn't just the white women who were lifting this up. It was also other women of color. And their message wasn't just aimed at white women. It was aimed also at other women of color. Because some of what has led to the fragmentation and siloing of efforts um, and understanding has been this looking out for me and mine. These women were woke before, but in order to go farther, they needed to get woke again. And again, and again, and again. And it's not all that different for us as Christians. We must get woke, not just once. We must continue getting woke again and again and again, born again and again and again. To do better than Nicodemus in this moment and think beyond. To extend ourselves toward one another. To believe one another's testimonies, as Jesus put it, instead of poking holes or casting doubt. Did it really go that way? Are you sure? To hear each other's truth. Nicodemus could tell that something was off in his understanding. And that's why he came out to Jesus that night. But he just couldn't or wouldn't extend himself to understand better. And he left with his comprehension incomplete, feeling that he hadn't quite gotten what he came for. And I wonder, I wonder, what did he come for? if it wasn't understanding? Was it validation? To rub shoulders with a famed revolutionary? To tell him, I'm secretly on your side. I'm one of the good ones, before returning to the safety of the temple. Maybe all of the above. But there continued to be something at work in his spirit because here's the interesting thing. Nicodemus keeps showing up, always on the edges, but he's coming back. He gives a, a lukewarm defense uh, on Jesus' behalf when the Pharisees try to arrest him at the temple in chapter 7. Shouldn't we at least hear him out? He asked his colleagues before they shut him down. And then he shows up again after Jesus' death with another secret follower, Joseph of Arimathea, carrying 75 pounds of funeral dressings. 
Now, I'll, I'll admit, I don't, I'm not sure what was like the normal amount of funeral dressings to use on someone, but 75 pounds sounds like a lot, right? I mean, that's like probably half of his body weight, and Jesus' body weight. And I have to say, um, it's this last one that really hits me because, you know, Nicodemus was willing to show up for Jesus in death, but not in life. Like a, like a white moderate making a $7 million donation for a King Memorial. Maybe you heard Dr. King talk about white moderates in his letter from a Birmingham jail, but in case you didn't, he actually saw them as the greatest threat to equality. He said, I have almost reached the regrettable conclusion that the Negro's great stumbling block in his stride toward freedom is not the white citizen's counselor or the Ku Klux Klanner, but the white moderate who is more devoted to order than to justice, who prefers a negative peace, which is the absence of tension. Let's all just, you know, get along. Why are you ruining our fun? to a positive peace, which struggles together, which is the presence of justice, who constantly says, I, the, the white moderate who constantly says, I agree with you in the goal you seek, but I cannot agree with your methods of direct action. Shallow understanding from people of goodwill is more frustrating than absolute misunderstanding from people of ill will. Lukewarm acceptance is much more bewildering than outright rejection. And listen, I'm half white, so I'm not like waging a war on white people, right? But let's just hold the tension because this is what it takes to get woke, right? Let's be mature, strong, spirited Christians who can handle our brokenness, right? So with the exception of one nightly discussion, Nicodemus just could not extend himself to really try and get it. He was, in, in a lot of ways, a person of goodwill who preferred a shallow understanding. Aside from one timid confrontation, he wasn't willing to risk himself for something that he really actually knew was right, a lukewarm acceptance. And so in his way, I think Nicodemus actually contributed to Jesus' death before he went to all that effort, extending himself to care for Jesus' body. Maybe he even presided over the funeral and talked about what a good person he was. I'm not sure we want those allies, especially in times like these. Friends, let's do better than Nicodemus. We can be in solidarity by caring for one another, loving one another, hearing one another's truths, and acting for one another. This is what we do, try to do when we give testimony, right? To hear each other's truths, not poke holes in them, but to hear each other as we see the world, as we experience the world. This is what we do when we march and protest and call our representatives. This is what it looks like to follow Jesus for real, right? To go further than Nicodemus's intellectual curiosity and genteel solidarity. True solidarity demands that we move from curiosity to humility, a humility that's willing to extend toward understanding someone else's truth, even if it conflicts with our own, and then become multilingual in one another's realities. You don't have to know all about my reality in order to know some things enough to speak on my behalf, right? To speak me into rooms of power. I don't have to know all about you in order to speak your issues into other spaces of power. I'm straight, but I can still talk about LGBTQ rights. And so then we move from humility to courage, a courage that risks for one another, not because it makes you look good or you have anything to gain or, because you, or feel good because that's what it but because that's what it means to follow Jesus, right? This is how thy kingdom comes. 
And all of this is made possible, fueled by a trust that is rooted in hope, a hope that's built on God's vision of wholeness of life for all, a hope that says we are on our way, a hope which reminds us that salvation is an ongoing process of being born again, of getting woke again and again and again. If it's not about sexism, it's about racism or gender identity or environmentalism or economic justice or mental health or ableism. The, the list goes on and on and on. And if you're willing to pursue your salvation, your wokeness, for the sake of God's kingdom, if you're willing to act on your wokeness, to lose your life as it is in exchange for another, something powerful can happen. There's no shame in not knowing or understanding, only in failing to risk yourself. Jesus didn't ask Nicodemus to lead the revolution, just to be part of it. If we're willing to extend ourselves further than Nicodemus was able, to be vulnerable and open ourselves to act with courage, to hope and trust, knowing we won't fully get it all the time, what we can know is grace and the awe-inspiring stewardship of a God in whose economy none of our efforts, none of them will go to waste. A grace that says, even if you failed me in life, I will let you take care of my body. A grace that says, even though I was crushed by a system I tried to reform, I will rise. Like dust, I will rise. Again and again and again. A grace that receives our humble faith of trying to understand and show up for one another as best we can. I didn't make it out to the airport last night, but one of my colleagues at Wicker Park did. A grace that sees our faith on the journey, continually challenges us to do better, and still says that it can be enough. You don't have to do everything, but you must do something. We are living in a chaotic, alarming time, and it can feel tremendously overwhelming. Does anyone feel overwhelmed? Where do we slice the pie, right? It can be hard to know how to navigate these rough waters, but if there's anything I can pull out of this cacophony of fear and dismay, it's a chorus of voices singing a similar song. Can you hear it? Songs of welcome. Songs of courage. Songs of, of volunteer lawyers filing habeas corpus petitions for detainees at the airport. Songs of a love that won't let go. Nicodemus couldn't believe that such a love could be possible until that love bore the marks of state execution. But we know, we have the benefit of knowing the whole story, a story of love that began with a, a baby refugee and ended with a convicted felon, a story of love that demands all and promises all. A story that begs to be told in our lives. Are you telling that story? Are you getting woke again and again and again? The world needs to read that story in your life. Tell the story of death to ignorance, of death to self-servitude, of death to death. Sing a song of resurrection, of life after death, and hope in the face of fear. Sing it with your body, sing it with your intellect, sing it with every which way you know how until the drumbeats of fear and intellectual chaos are laid silent. And from that silence, like dust, an ancient, an ancient new song can rise, a song of humble hope and assurance.
How deep is our God's love for us? How vast beyond all measure that she should give her only son to make a wretch her treasure. How great the pain of fearing loss. The father turns his face away as wounds which mar the chosen ones bring many ones to glory. Be humble and courageous, strong enough to hold the pain of this world and hopeful enough to see what it was made for. Tell a story of wokeness in the face of chaos, of life made possible only through death. And see what happens. Let us pray. God, we thank you that you give us the opportunity to be born again and again and again and again. Help us to have the humility to do that birthing, to get woke in every which way you call us to. And then to have the courage to act on that wokeness and to help others even be born again. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus, and even in the memory of Nicodemus, who tried and yet you still loved when he failed. Amen. Amen.